If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. Surprise, surprise. I feel like we've been in Hebrews for like 13 years. I don't know about you. Um, but anybody else, does it feel like we've been in Hebrews for a long time? No? Cool. All right, sweet. Somebody, somebody answered. All right. So, yeah. What? Yeah, Brandon's like, please, let's get this over with. So this is our second to last week in the book of Hebrews. Um, if you have not been with us over the past several weeks, um, we uh, just to give you a little bit of recap, right? So the book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author. We do not know who this author was. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. Some people think it was Barnabas. Some people think it was Paul. Um, but we're not 100% sure. But we do know a lot about uh, the audience that the, uh, that the writer is, is uh, writing to. And one thing that we know about them is we know that they are Jews that have uh, placed their faith in Christ. So they're Jewish Christians, right? So with that, uh, part of being Jewish, they were raised with the teachings of Judaism. They were raised with this knowledge of the Old Testament that was, you know, just unparalleled, right? Um, so, uh, so with that, uh, there is a lot of things that the author of Hebrews is writing to them. And he makes these references, these Old Testament references, and they kind of automatically understand what he's talking about through that. But for us, who were not raised uh, in Judaism or, you know, studying the Old Testament a whole lot, I'm sure, uh, there's, there's a lot more study that's involved, right? So he's writing to them, and one thing that we know about this audience is that they are tired, that they are, because of their profession of faith in Christ, they're experiencing hardship. They're experiencing persecution. They're, they're, not, they're, they're experiencing distance from their family. They're disconnected from society. They're, they're being treated as lesser than. There's persecution that's coming and coming. And what's happening is because of all of this hardship, they're being tempted to go back to their former life of Judaism. They're basically saying, look, like, like okay, it, I'm, you know what? I, I'm just, I'm just going to go back to the way things used to be. Right? I'm just going to go back to the way things were before I professed Jesus. And what the author is telling them to do is like, don't, do that. And he gives them a bunch of reasons, and we've been going over them for forever, it feels like, right? But he kind of talks about this idea that Jesus is, everything that you would be going back to, Jesus has already shown he is greater than. And that's something I think a lot of you need to know, right? That whatever you think you could go back to, Jesus is greater than that. So we see that Jesus is greater than the angels. We see that he is greater, uh, that he is greater than Moses in the law. He, is, he, uh, his, he promises us a better rest. He is our true and better high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice that we can never offer on our own, and he is the mediator of a better covenant built on better promises. All right, we've been going over this. So he's saying, look, why would you leave something that is better? Why would you leave something that is better? And for the past several weeks, we've really been drilling into all this content. And for many of you, it's been a lot of like, it's been a lot of like head knowledge, right? Maybe for some of you, this has been a lot of knowledge that maybe you didn't know before, right? Last week, we talked about like all of the, you know, Old Testament covenants. And you're like, wow, hey, like, you know, maybe some of you, this has just kind of been a lot of information, right? A lot of learning. It's like, okay, cool. That's awesome to know, all right? For, for many of you, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a, uh, we had a message basically saying like, hey, are you saved or do you just think you're saved? And maybe for some of you, that was a time where you should really reflect, to really think back, okay, what is my faith placed in? What am I placing my faith in? For the past several weeks, you've been really internally focused. 
What I mean by internally focused, what I'm saying is it's been a lot of things that, all right, like you kind of have to think about, right? A lot of things about like change the way that you're thinking, understand what your relationship with God looks like, how you're made right with God, you know, all that. And then also this under, you know, okay, like, you know, inter- internally thinking, all right, like where are things at, you know, sorry, where's my relationship with God? It's been a lot of self-reflecting. And it's been a lot of knowledge. There's been a lot of things we went, you know, about filling our head and stirring our hearts, but this week, we take a dramatic shift. This week, we, we, now that we've kind of stirred up our hearts and our minds, now we say, what do we do with our hands? What do we do with all this information that we've received? Like, now that I'm saved, what do I do? I think it's a question that all of us at some point have probably asked, right? Now that I'm saved, now, now what? Right? Now that I understand the supremacy of Christ in all things, you know, how do I respond to that? Is it just like, okay, cool, Or does it actually make a difference? You've heard me say this to you several times, but the way that you respond to God's faithfulness is the most important thing about you. I don't care about how much money you make. I don't care about where you go to school. I don't care about all this stuff. How you respond to God's faithfulness is the most important thing about you. And I believe one of the greatest things that you can have in your relationship and in your walk with Christ is someone that lovingly challenges you. Uh, If you've been with us for a little while, most of you in this room, pretty sure almost all of you, have heard me preach before. And I know, like, I come across a certain way. I know that. Right? I know, like, I can come across really passionate, and, and I've heard the jokes, you know, like, loving jokes, right? Like, you could tell how good the sermon is based off how red Mike's face gets. Like, I've heard that, I know. It's kind of funny. It's funny. I, I get it. But I want you guys to know something. I've been working with student ministry now uh, for eight years. Uh, I started volunteering as a sophomore in college, and it just kind of went from there, you know, and, and I've been, and with that, uh, I've seen a lot of things, a lot, I've seen a lot of students come and go. Believe it or not, I once was a student. Uh, it may, may be hard, like, you just think, like, I just came out of the womb as, like, a 20-year-old or something. Uh, no, like, at one time, I was in high school. And, you know, I've seen a lot of students come and go. I've seen a lot of things happen. I've, and, and I really feel like I've gotten a chance to learn a lot. I feel, like God's, I feel like God has taught me a lot. I feel like I've learned a lot about what makes teenagers tick. And one thing that I feel is incredibly necessary, especially for teenagers that are in church, is that I think that you need to be challenged. Because what I've seen over the years is I've seen a ton of people who start out in their walk with Christ, they're on fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are just passionate. They are just running 100 miles an hour towards Jesus. And then over time, what happens is they stop being challenged. They feel like they've kind of arrived. Like, where else is there for me to go? Like, look at my church attendance over the past several years. Let me quote some Bible verses to you. Like, what else is there for, for possibly for me to do? What happens is they get bored and they grow complacent and they stop growing. And what happens is they fizzle out and ultimately what happens is they end up walking away from the faith, showing that their walk with Christ was nothing more than an emotional experience. And I feel like the remedy to this is to be challenged. To have somebody in your life that encourages you for how God, how, how far God has brought you, 
but at the same time doesn't let you stay there and shows you, look how much further we can go together. And that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about preaching to you all to the point to where when you graduate, and if you go off to college, I can lay my head at, on my pillow at night knowing that I was faithful with the time I had with you. That I, when you leave, I never have to think to myself, I wish I would have this. I can know that I gave you everything that I possibly had every time I stood up here on a Tuesday night. I think we need to be challenged. Chapter 12 comes off the heels of chapter 11, which is commonly referred to as the faith chapter or the hall of faith. You've probably heard it put that way before, right? So he's talking about this idea of don't shrink back, keep going. Don't shrink back. And then in chapter 11, he gives example after example after example of these people that they had known about, right, in the Old Testament that didn't shrink back. Look at the faith of, of Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Joshua and, and, and boom, 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 boom. And all of these men and women in the Old Testament did incredible things. He's saying, don't shrink back. Gives all of these examples of people who didn't. Gives all of these examples, and then we pick up in chapter 12, where this is what he has to say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about, okay, don't shrink back. Don't, 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 don't shrink back. Press forward. Persevere. Keep going. We're going to talk about what does that mean? What does it mean? Now that you're saved, what does that mean? First thing that we see in this passage what should we do? We run the race. We run. There's a lot of commands in this verse if you actually look at it, right? I mean, uh, what does it say? It says, lay aside every weight, okay? Run with endurance. Look to Jesus, right? There's, there's these different, several things, but if you, if you read it, really the imperative verb here in, in the Greek, the, the, the verb that is the focus of this entire passage is the verb run. Run. And what do we mean by run the race? I mean, what do I mean when I say that as a Christian, you need to run? Some of you are like, child, please, I ain't running for nothing, right? I was talking to Pastor Ethan yesterday, and Pastor Ethan is, uh, has been running on Mondays with uh, Matt Nixon. He's been running with, yeah, he's been running with your dad. And, uh, and I told him, I was like, I don't know if you know this, but like Matt did like Ironman stuff for like a long time, like all this like, tr- like marathon running and everything. I was like, you all right with that? Uh, and, you know, we were just kind of talking about it, and I asked, like, what time do you guys run? He goes, he meets me at my house at 6 in the morning. And he goes, you want to run with us? I was like, no. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I appreciate the invite. I'm really flattered, but no, I do not, right? And some of you are like, that, all right, I want you to know, that's not what I'm talking about when I say run. Here's what it means, and this is what I believe Scripture teaches when we talk about this idea of run the race. As Christians, we have been given a finish line. We have been given a goal to strive for, and it is this, namely, 
to glorify God and to pursue Jesus. That's your race. Glorify God and to pursue Jesus. Now, what that looks like when we talk about glorify, okay, like, you know, glorify God in the way you live, glorify God by sharing him with others, right? But all these, but glorify God and pursue Christ. That is your goal. Pursue God and seek to bring him glory. This is the goal that every single Christian has. And that is every single Christian, that is the race that we are all commanded to do, run to. We need to run. We don't walk to this. We run passionately, no matter the cost, no matter the hardship, we press on towards the goal, towards the finish line. But it's not enough to begin to run. You must continue to run. It takes endurance. If any of you run in here, I know like David runs cross country and Keelan runs cross country. I know some of you, some others do, and I'm sorry, I forgot you, if I forgot, right? I know a handful of you run cross country. And if there's one thing that you need to run cross country, it's what? It's endurance. No one cares how fast you start if you can't finish. No one cares how great your strides are if you can't keep it up. We need endurance. Throughout the New Testament, we see Christian life is, the Christian life is related to that of a runner in a race. 2 Timothy 4, 7, right? Remember Paul's like, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he does the same thing. But why, though? Why do we see this, this like, relationship? Why do we see uh, Paul and here in Hebrews talking about this idea of, okay, running a race similar to the Christian life? Because runners in a race don't stop until the race is over. I'm going to say that again. Runners in the race don't stop until the race is over. Again, like I said, the key verb in this verse is run, but the key to running is endurance. Remember who he's writing to. He's not writing to people who don't have faith. He's writing to Christians. He's, writing, he's not writing to people who don't have faith. He's writing to people whose faith is struggling to persevere. That's who he's writing to. He has just spent the first significant chunk of, the, chunk of this letter reminding them of the greatness of Jesus, reminding them that Jesus is greater than anything they could possibly find in their former way of life. And then he says, all right, remember all of this. Focus on how great Jesus is. Now, keep going. And some of you need to know this, because I believe this. Some of you are exhausted. I'm not saying exhausted just with life. You're exhausted in your walk with God. You feel like you don't hear from him. You read your Bible, you get nothing. You come up in here and you see everybody raising their hands and closing your eyes, and it just doesn't hit you the same. And you're trying, and you're trying, and you're discouraged, and you don't know what to do, and then you have all these people at home because your parents aren't Christians questioning why you do what you do. Here's what I tell you. Keep running. Don't stop. Your race is not over. I've heard it said this way, if you have breath in your lungs, then God has a purpose for that breath. If you have breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for you. Keep going. Getting saved is not the finish line. It's the starting line. That's why we get saved and we're like, man, sweet, awesome. Now I can just kind of coast until heaven. No, you got saved. Oh, cool. Welcome to the race. Welcome to the race. 
If there's one word that I would use to characterize much of Christianity today that drives me out of my mind, it would be convenient. Convenient. Oh, I'll read my Bible if I find time. Oh, I'll spend time in, 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 in prayer when I have time. I'll share the gospel when I get a chance to. Or I'll go to church as long as there's not something else for me to do. It's convenient. I'll give Jesus everything I have as long as he's the only thing asking for my time in the moment. Very convenient. And why? Because we live in a world full of walkers and not runners. We live with a bunch of people that want to walk to Jesus instead of run to him. Why? Because if we're honest, we don't want to run. Let's just be honest for a second. The reason we don't run to Christ, the reason we don't run our race is because we don't want to. Running is hard. Newsflash, being a Christian is hard. If somebody sold you on a bag of goods saying that being a Christian is super easy, everyone's going to love you for it. You're never going to have any questions. You're going to pray a prayer, get baptized, and you're just going to stroll on through life. They lied to you. Let me be the first to, to reign on that parade. That is not Christianity. It is hard. It is difficult. I think of Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, he goes, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, to run the race that God has set before you is to wake up every day, put your running shoes on, and decide, I'm going to run today. It's not a decision that you made one time when you were seven. It's not a decision that you made a week ago. It's a decision that is made every single day. Are you going to run today or not? Are you going to run or not? And it doesn't matter if you ran yesterday. Are you going to run today? When Christ returns, will he find you running? Will he find you running? So how do we get to this point? How can we have endurance? There's a few ways that we can have endurance. So we're going to see, all right, so we talked about what should we do. We should run. All right, now we see the second thing. How should we run? First thing we see is look to those that have run where you're currently running. Look to those who have already run where you are. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and we read that, we're like, great cloud of witnesses, what in the world? Like, what is he talking about? A cloud of witnesses. Well, remember, like, who are, you know, like, who are these witnesses? Like, what are they witnessing or testifying about? And remember, all right, if you look, if you look, right, we see our Bibles, right? Verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to bring one. It says, therefore, I don't even have to finish, I don't even have to say it. At this point, I shouldn't have to. Great question, Brandon. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for, Right? What was chapter 11? The chap chapter 11 was talking about the great men and women of faith. These, this hall of faith, which is a, you know, just a really 
It's a really cheesy pun, really, if we're being honest, right? But this, all these people who said, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, this person did this, and this person, and this person, and this person, right? By faith, they did all these things. They didn't shrink back. They kept going. They endured what you're enduring now, but they didn't stop. These were the men and women that completed the race, and they had never given up. And he's saying, remember those that have gone before you. And let's be honest for a second. Every person in this room is learning how to live the season of life that you're in. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I've learned this as I've gotten older, right? As I've gotten older, I got married and stuff like that. I learned that my parents, when they were raising me, they, were try- they, they had never raised a boy before. So they were figuring it out too. Now, by the time they got to Brock, they were seasoned professionals, right? No, no. At that point, they had never raised a fourth child before. See, you're never experienced in the season that you're in. And the the ironic thing is, is that you're never fully knowledgeable about that season until you're out of it. You don't know all the details of what it's like to live for Christ as a teenager in high school. Why? Because you haven't graduated yet. Do you know what it's like to rely on Christ when everyone is going to the colleges they want and you can't? Some of you do. We never really fully know. Some of you are tempted to compromise truth for convenience at school. Some of you are tempted to stop running when you're at school, and then when you leave, you grab your running shoes again to start acting like a Christian again. And I know it's hard. And I say this with as much love as I possibly can. You guys are in difficult positions. Being a teenager in high school is hard. But maybe, perhaps the reason it is especially hard for you is because you refuse to look to people that have gone ahead of you for wisdom and encouragement. You're trying to be the expert in your own mind. Your pride won't allow you to open up to someone and admit that you don't have the answers. Here's the thing. I'm just going to be real with you. You don't have to tell me that you don't have all the answers. I know you don't. And here's the thing. Like, my parents don't have to tell, I don't have to tell them that I don't have all the answers. Wonder why? Because they know I don't. I know I don't. They know I don't. And you know you don't. And here's something I want you to understand, that there are adults in our church and in this room that are here every single week that have experienced the exact things that you are wrestling with in this moment. And a lot of the things that you never will experience, they have dealt with. And you know what they did? They kept running. They kept going. They didn't turn back. They picked up their cross daily and they pursued Christ. We have some incredible volunteers in this room, and I promise you, if you are willing and able, if you're sorry, if you are willing, they will encourage you. If you take five seconds to talk to one of them, they will do what they can to encourage you and to challenge you. If nothing else, I encourage you to talk to some of them just to listen to their stories. 
We have volunteers and leaders that have come through addiction, sexual abuse, domestic violence, shame of past decisions, depression, anxiety, battles with suicide, disappointment from parents, abandonment, divorce, and the list goes on and on and on. And some of you are experiencing those things right now. How, how do I get through it? How do I get through it? Meanwhile, there are people who have already been through it begging you to ask them. Begging you. Every single one of these people that have gone through all of these things that I just listed, they're standing as a witness telling you God is still faithful, God is still good, and the race is still worth running. I know it's hard. I've been there. But God is still good. His grace is still sufficient. And the race is still worth it. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So first way that we have endurance is to we, we look to the people who've gone before us. The second way that we have endurance is that we remove distractions. Going back to verse 1, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. See, in ancient Greece, athletic competitions were a huge part of the culture, right? Some of you probably know this, like the Olympics, right? Kind of a big deal, right? In these games, athletes that were running, athletes that were running races would often run, here we go, they would often run naked. <laughs> there it is, right? They would often run nude or pretty close to it. And they did this because they knew that the more the clothes they wore, the more their clothes could possibly get snagged on something, or the more clo their clothes would weigh them down and make it difficult for them to run as fast as they possibly could. So what did they do? They shed these things that were not needed. They were willing to, and they were willing to receive shame in order to efficiently finish their race. They ignored the shame of nakedness because they valued the prize. We look at this, right? Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And if we're honest, and we all know this, right? Sin is the greatest hindrance in a life of, of the Christian. Yet at the same time, it's the one thing that we all must wrestle with. Sin. Not a single person in this room can say that they don't wrestle with sin. I cannot, look, I cannot stand up here and say, I don't wrestle with sin. That would be a lie. It would be a lie. Even when you want to run the race, your sin makes it more difficult. And here's the beauty of a relationship with Christ. When Jesus saves you from sin, he saves you to righteousness. And let me explain what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's the thing. There is no temptation or sin that is stronger than the grace of Jesus. And if you're trying to run your race and you find yourself constantly struggling with sin, know that it may not happen overnight, but there is freedom in Jesus, and you are not destined to struggle forever. That God can give victory over that. 
Whatever that sin is in your life, think about it in your mind. What is the sin that keeps you from running your race to your fullest capacity? Whatever that sin is, there is victory in Jesus over that. And you are not destined to struggle with that forever. Now, there's something that I want us to pay very close attention to in this verse. Notice that it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Do you notice that? It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. See, while running this race, sin will absolutely destroy you. However, there are things that are not sin that can also slow you down. And you should be willing to cast those things aside too. I mean, if you look at it, I'm not making this up, right? I mean, we're looking at it together. Lay aside every weight and sin. See, this is so crucial because if we're honest, most Christians understand that sinful behaviors will hinder their walk with God. Like most of us would say, yeah, that makes sense, right? We would agree with that. You know, we struggle, but we're willing to try to lay those things aside. However, very few are willing to lay aside things that are not sinful. And how do I know this? Because I hear this question all the time. Hey, is it a sin to blank? And it's not a bad thing to wonder if something's a sin. However, a lot of times I know why that person's asking that. Because what they're asking for is they're asking, all right, what is the bare minimum? And I'll shoot for that. That's what I'll do. What's the bare minimum? And I'll shoot for that. Give you an example. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a sinner. I'll, I'll, I'll share it. I am currently taking seminary classes. And I had a book report that was due yesterday. And I did it. Don't worry. But in the syllabus, it had like two book review sections. And I only saw one of them. And the one that I saw was the extra credit one. And I was like, guess who's not doing extra credit, right? I was like, I'm not going to do extra credit. I'm fine. I found out last week while an announcement came up, hey, your book reports are due Monday. And I looked at like the assignments due, and I was like, I have a book report due, and it was last Thursday. And the book that I had to read was a pastoral and exegetical commentary on the book of Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah. 225 pages. I had to Amazon Prime it. It got here on Saturday. I was busy all day. And I didn't get a chance to start reading it until Sunday night. And yesterday, I had to read that entire book and then write a book review on it. And there were six, it was four to six pages. And you want to know why? Or you want to know how many pages I did? I did six. But the reason, I was trying to do four, but I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I added fluff and made it, it ended up being six. Okay? And I say all that to say this. I shot for the minimum because I didn't prepare well enough to shoot for my best. And a lot of times we're like, hey, is this sin? And the reason I'm asking is because if it's not, you better believe I'm doing it all day long. And here's the thing. If that's the way you approach your walk with Christ, no wonder you struggle. So many times I see that Christians, we're not pursuing holiness. Rather, we're just saying, all right, what's the very minimum that I can do? 
Instead of aiming for a target, we're just trying to meet a threshold. I love this quote by John MacArthur. It says, so many people in Christianity today want the byproducts of a relationship with God without the relationship. They want the forgiveness without repentance. They want salvation without submission. So here's the question. If it isn't sinful, then how can I know if it's a weight that's holding me back? Because it's obvious, right? If something's a sin, okay, that's holding me back. I'll try my best not to do that. Or I'll try my best, you know, to overcome that. Whatever it might be, right? All right, so if it's not a sin, though, how can I know if it is a weight? And it's a very simple answer. Does it help you run? Does it help you run? Does it help me run? Does that relationship you're in help you run? Right? I mean, does it? Does that job that you have help you run? Does that type of music you listen to help you run? Now, as soon as we st- I start talking about stuff like this, right, people tense up. Right? We reach into our back pocket for that Matthew 7, 1 verse. You know, judge not lest you be judged, our favorite verse. Right? We're ready, we're ready to throw it out there. Why? We get super defensive. I mean, after all, if it isn't sin, then who are you to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? Be honest with yourself. Does that thing help you run? Does it help you run? I'll give you another example. I had friends in high school that were, uh, they, they, they were swimmers, right? So they did competitive swimming in school. Uh, so, you know, and, and what I learned about this, and, and here's something that I did not know until my friends told me this, and I'm going to start out. There's nothing wrong with this, okay? But I'm just going to say it. I didn't know that swimmers shaved their legs, okay? I didn't know this, right? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, like, for me, I just didn't want to shave my legs, okay? That was just kind of my thing. Uh, you know, not my thing, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? I just, uh, that's my, uh, so that's Bob and that's Mike. He doesn't shave his legs. It's his thing, right? No, uh, no, but, like, you know, I didn't want to shave my legs, right? I, I was like, I, in my mind, I was like, man, that kind of seems kind of weird. Like, I've had hair on my legs my entire life. I feel like that would just be strange. Well, what they learn is because having hair on your legs, like, when they shave the legs, it helps them to glide through the water quicker, all right, it helps them glide through the water quicker. It helps them swim faster. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the time, I remember saying this. I remember saying, I just don't care enough. I just don't care enough. Right? I simply don't care enough about swimming to shave my legs. I simply don't care enough about winning a swimming competition to shave my legs. And if we're honest, the reason you're not willing to let go of some of the weights in your life is because you just don't care about the race that much. Be honest with yourself, because if you did, then why else would you hold on to it? I mean, like, like, yo, okay, I'm not trying to be rude, because these are things that I've had to wrestle with. I've had to decide, does it help me run? I say, does this relationship help me run? Because I had to leave a relationship because I realized that it didn't. I'm not talking about stuff I've never had to do. Think about it. If you know it does not help you run, if you know it holds you back from running the race, and you don't let go of it, what do you want more? What do you want more? If we're honest, we don't let go because we just don't care about the race all that much. 
Again, I'm not talking legalism. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that your commitment to the race may not be as much as you think it is. Right? There's varying levels of maturity. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm just saying, you know, maybe you're not as committed as you think. And then the last part of how do we do this is that we look to Jesus. And here's the issue. Everything that I have said tonight, you know, previous, before that point, everything that I've said tonight, here's, it does one thing. It puts the pressure on you, right? It puts the pressure on you. Think about it. You need to run. You need to endure. You need to seek wise counsel, and you need to seek advice. You need to lay aside weights and overcome your sin. And if, I just, if you leave here tonight without this next part, then you will fail in all of those previous ones. If you leave here tonight missing this last one, but you heard everything else that I said, you will fail. How do we do this? We look to Jesus. Let's go back to it. Verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, before you have volunteers that have been where you've been, you have a high priest and a savior that is able to sympathize with your weaknesses because he has been where you've been. Hebrews 4. Before you can lay aside sins and distractions, you need to know the one that laid his entire life down for you. John 10. You must focus on Jesus before anything else. You know, when I would, I love to go deep sea fishing. And I used to get seasick a lot when we would go. And um, I've gotten over that now. I've got got my methods now. I get over that. But I remember, like, if you've ever been in the middle of the ocean seasick, it's a miserable feeling. Want to know why? Because there's nothing you can do to stop it. Right? You just got to, like, take it. You know, and it's a bad thought when, like, you just hope you'll throw up so that you'll feel better, right? Some of you maybe have been there. Like, how bad does it have to be to where you're like, oh, I just wish I would puke? Like, ugh, right? You know, it's terrible. And I remember my dad telling me, he's like, hey, he's like, Mike, just, so, like, we had, there's, there's something, we have ginger, like, basically, like, this, like, raw, nasty ginger, and it was, it was to help. And it tasted like trash, okay? It tasted terrible. But I remember he gave it to me, and he said, all right, Mike, look at the horizon. Because if you look at the horizon, like, you know, the boat's like this, but the horizon's steady and flat. He told me, like, just look at the horizon. What I've learned is that where your eyes are focused, when your eyes are focused, your feet are firm. Because it may be nasty where you're at, but your feet will be firm where your eyes are focused. And that horizon was flat. And though it didn't feel flat around me, when my eyes were focused, it helped. And if you want to run this race, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, he's the ultimate example of perseverance. We talk about running a race with endurance. Jesus is the perfect example of it. When he prayed, he would pray for hours and hours, all night long. Even as as his disciples fell asleep, he endured in prayer. When he was tired and hungry in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, he endured temptation. See, all of us have endured temptation, right? Many of us 
or many times we succumb to it, right? We, we, we fall short. But Jesus knows temptation to the fullest extent. Jesus knows how to re- resist temptation actually more than you do because he reached its end without faltering. Think about that. See, when, when you're tempted and you give in to it, you don't know how far that temptation can really go. Why? Because you gave in. But Jesus never gave in. What does that show? Is that Jesus knows just how far it can go, and he still didn't give in. Still didn't give in. And when he was on the cross, with all the authority of heaven and creation at his disposal, what did he do? Let's look at the verse. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to know why you can persevere in this life? Because Christ persevered for you. Look, if, you're, if your faith is in me, I'm not going to persevere all the time. I'm going to fall short. Your friends will fall short. Your parents will fall short. Your volunteers will fall short. Christ never falls short. He never fails. He never fails you. He never falls short. He never slips up. He never has a bad day. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. He's consistent. Fix your eyes on him because he is steady. You want to know what endurance looks like? Look at the cross. Some of you, if you're in here and you don't even, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, know that this world, the only way to make it through this life is fixing your eyes on Jesus. You need something greater than what this world can offer you in order to endure it. If you guys have any questions, again, like I said earlier, one of the greatest things that you can do is to have people in your life who have run the race before you. And I love this idea because what does it say that Jesus is? Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the founder of our faith. It says that he has set the race before us. Notice, so like if you're ever going to run a race, I remember running those fun runs in elementary school. You guys remember those? There was nothing fun about them, but, but we would do them. And what I remember is I remember there being cones that were set out. I remember there being cones that were set out. And, you know, and also, like, for staycation or whatever, we had that dodgeball game that was just total chaos. Uh, and, uh, and it didn't work quite the way that I wanted to, but that's all right, right? We had to set up all those cones. But you know what I've learned about those people who mark out the race before you? They have to walk it first. Like, if I was going to say, all right, there's cones, right? right? You, they have to mark those cones out all along the way. When we do amazing race, Guess who has to make sure all the challenges work? Me and Brandon do. Right? So some of you are like, it's impossible. I'm like, I know it's not impossible because I did it. Right? It took me an hour and a half, but I did it. Right? Here's the thing. Christ has marked out the race for you because he did it before you did. He did it before you. I encourage you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and surround yourself with other Christians that are where you are, and have been where you are. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to study your word, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you give us the Holy Spirit, God, that you make it possible for us to be able to continue. 
God, I just ask that, Father, you would help us to fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on you, knowing that you do not waver and you do not falter. God, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, that tonight that they would be able to leave with confidence that their eternity is held in your hands. God, I thank you and I praise you in the name of your son, Jesus.